Stay hungry, stay foolish. As always, thank you to our sponsor, Zai. Zai is a global fintech innovating in their area of expertise, building integrated financial services for digital native and non-native businesses. Check them out at hellozai.com. Welcome back to this fantastic episode with Ben Bensow. And good news, this was supposed to be our finale today, episode four. I'm going to say, Ben, that it, it could be next week. <laughs> it could be episode five. It may go on behind that. But I just want to say both Ben and I have received so many messages from so many of our listeners to say that this extended playlist was so useful for you guys. So really happy to hear that. Let's get into today's episode. Today, we're going to zoom in into part four of the book. And this is where Ben and I agreed that we would split out a couple of chapters. Because this episode, today's episode, episode four, will zoom into a particular case study, which is the global company Bayer. And we want to make sure that Bayer is global, it's a massive company, billion dollar company. But that doesn't mean that the principles can apply to a company of any size or a one person organization equally. Ben's going to take us through that process. I'm going to probe with some questions and some quotes as as usual. So Ben, I'm going to tee you up. Oh, firstly, Ben, welcome back. <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Yes. It's so great to have you back. And, and I'm so, so grateful for for your time as well. And as I mentioned to you in, in my notes, I got so many messages from the part of the world you're in at the moment as well, which is a bit of serendipity. Ben's in Japan, got many emails from Asian listeners, but also from Australia and New Zealand. So very welcome to those listeners as well. So this part of the book is called igniting the engine, creating a governance and coordination structure for the innovating engine. Remember innovating not innovation. And if you want to find out about that, go back to episode one. <laughs> so uh, Ben, I'm going to tee you up with a quote here about Bayer. The 150 year old company is best known for the development and marketing of aspirin. But though aspirin is a mainstay of Bayer's business, the $40 billion company also profits from a steady st stream of innovations in pharmacology and the life sciences, for example, technologies that help smallholder farmers in developing countries expand their production of sustainable crops, artificial intelligence software designed to improve clinical decision making regarding chronic conditions like hypertension, and breakthrough treatments for medical conditions ranging from hemophilia to prostate cancer. These examples reflect just a few recent months of Bayer research. Now breakthroughs like these reflect the degree to which Bayer recognizes the centrality of innovation to its future success. The company operates according to a mantra that was explained to Ben by a Dr. Henning Trill one of Bayer's innovating leaders and head of corporate innovation who said, when running a sustainable business, innovation and marketing are critical, they cannot be outsourced, and they can't be delegated to others. Even though innovation calls for cooperation and partnership with outside stakeholders, such as business partners, academic research organizations, biotech companies, medical institutions, and many kinds of customers, the innovating process itself must be driven from within, because otherwise the company runs the risk of losing control of its destiny. That's a little excerpt from the book that tees up Ben nicely to take us through the Bayer case. 
and we're going to start from the grassroots and build all the way up to the board. Over to you, Ben. Let me make a few comments for context here. You mentioned this, we're reaching now part four, and part four is in the book is really dedicated to explaining how you can create the innovating engine. I mean, there are many examples of how people behave when they switch from the execution mindset to the innovating mindset. There's all sorts of motivations and examples about it, but always people wonder, how do we, how do we make it happen? So uh, part four is dedicated to that. It is trying to explain that just the same way that the execution engine has a structure is driven by underlying processes and has its distinctive culture, the innovating engine also needs to have a structure, some concrete organization where people can uh, uh, relate, that people can relate to. As I said before, this is uh, creating a specific concrete space uh, with people who have uh, specific roles and, and tasks and responsibilities. We talked about the underlying processes, create creation, integration, and reframing. And we can also talk, we talked also about the culture and how you change norms. So I think first chapter four, it, uh, part four is really about the mechanics. How do you make it happen concretely in, in, in physical terms? Um, and we can use uh, Bayer, we can use other examples to explain that. The other thing I'd like to, to pinpoint from, uh, from your choice of the example, I mean, we could have chosen uh, other examples featured in the books, but uh, I, I like you choosing Bayer because it is also reflective of what the book is about. Bayer is a 150 years old company in, 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 in an industry that is not necessarily kind of featured all the time for innovation. And yet they have been able to, re, to, to reboost, to re-energize their innovation capability. And what I like about the quote from uh, uh, Henning, Henning uh, Trill, is that he recognizes, and this is very important, and this is somewhat at the foundation of the book, is that innovation, or I would say innovating uh, capabilities, the innovating engine is a core competency. If I were to be facetious, I would say innovation you can buy. You can buy a patent, you can buy a discovery, you can buy innovation, but the, in, the capability, the core competency to uh, be able to innovate as an organization is something that is very unique. It's very difficult to imitate. And that's what the book is about, is really about innovating and building this innovating capability that nobody can, can copy from you. Or I mean, this is what in strategy we call a core competency. Um, now, the question is really that you have here a company, 150-year-old company, that has a long history of uh, scientific achievements and R&D you know, inventions. I mean, you mentioned aspirin, but I mean, they have a brilliant uh, team of scientists and R&D specialists. And yet in 2014, this is where I mean, we, 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 talk, we may talk also about Monica Lessel, who runs their you know, innovation initiatives and, and uh, innovation at Bayer, explained that this is really in 2014 where they realized that they had a, more than 100,000 employees in the company. And these people were 
wanting to contribute to innovation and didn't know how. And this is when in 2014, again, this is quite recent, Bayer decided to build what I call an innovating engine, uh, a, a, a concrete uh, space where everybody can innovate. One crucial piece of the answer related to Bayer's corporate structure, Ben, and you mentioned this before, and it has come up on the show several times, like there's the mindset piece, there's the hearts and minds, but then there's actually structure. So you need humanics, the people, the change of how they think, how they spot opportunities, how they spot threats. But then you also need the correct structure for them, both the structure for them to communicate, the board being involved, the CEO, the leadership being involved, grassroots being involved, middle management especially being involved, but also how people communicate ideas and spot ideas and threats throughout the organization. And you say Bayer is a huge company with employees in three major business divisions, pharmaceuticals, consumer health and crop science, scattered across 36 country groups around the world. Now, again, I want to emphasize this is a massive global company, $40 billion company. But that doesn't mean the same thing doesn't apply to a smaller company, because even in a small company, a one room or a non room organization, the communication often is stifled, and there's no means with which to share ideas. And Ben says, inevitably, such a company as Bayer must be organized along hierarchical lines, with the bureaucratic systems and procedures needed to maintain control and strategic focus while engaging in hundreds of 1000s of separate activities. Yet, bureaucracy can easily become a deadening influence that stifles innovation. Ben, maybe you'll unpack this because this is a core aspect that's often overlooked with innovation initiatives. Right, this is this is really at the core of uh, what the book is trying to say is that uh, it is basically featuring a lot of companies that come from a, 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 tri a tradition and a, a management style, a management structure that was defined by the execution system. And the execution engine uh, naturally is very much about control. As you said, it's no surprise that many companies have an execution system based on uh, a tight hierarchy, sophisticated control systems, very often siloed. But innovation, for innovating, you need to operate. Uh, it's, it's, first, it's less about control. It is more about collaboration. It's more about communication. It is more about horizontal structures that are focused on the customer. And for this, you need to, as Bayer uh, did, is not to basically um, uh, only rely on the R&D or the few specialists, but to try to create a parallel horizontal structure where you still, because it is a structure, you still have some people with a specific uh, set of tasks and roles and responsibilities, you have the process we talked about, and it creates some sort of a, a, a culture, a distinctive culture. So in the case of uh, Bayer, they created this uh, parallel structure, which is something that is functioning in, uh, in parallel to your execution system. So if you remember, we said that uh, every employee within the company 
uh, has 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 a role to play in execution. Usually, people may be spending 90, 95% of their time in execution. But to build an organization that can innovate, you need to make sure that everybody spends on a regular basis some time in the innovation mode, in engaged in some innovating activities. So first, what is this, what the book is saying is that every employee, the worker at the call center, the person on the factory floor, the receptionist, spend time in both engines. And they, thanks to their middle manager, they have some protected time where they can switch from one mindset to the other mindset. They are supported in this effort by some, some training and some sometimes some dedicated space where they could do this. And we can talk about what Bayer did in this, uh, in this area. Um, and then these, these people, uh, so everybody can spend time in both, but you have, you need a special set of people who are, um, uh, creating, uh, uh, curating, uh, 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 managing, if you will, the innovating, the innovating engine. So these people have a special role. And the way I uh, describe it, looking at all the cases, Bayer, but also other companies that are featured in the book, they have some points in, in common. And what uh, out of these, all of these examples, what I have identified as critical roles, one is to have what I refer to as an I committee. You need to have I coaches. I'm meaning innovation. You need to have innovation committees. You need to have innovation coaches and you need to have local innovating coordinators. These are three separate, separate roles that can be filled, that need to be filled by individuals. Now, some people fill these roles 100% of their time. Some others do this on top or in addition, or let's say as part of their job is maybe 20, 30% innovation uh, task, and the rest is, is, um, is execution. But this is what I call the IT, and this is the governance structure, concrete physical governance structure of the innovating engine. These people, you could imagine, they would have like a, a second business card, one that says what is their role in the execution engine, and second, what is this special uh, legitimized uh, formalized role in the innovating engine. I found that was such a core message from the book, Ben, the idea of structure. And the, uh, the one of the ways I often thought about this, you were talking about the coaches scattered throughout the organization. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, I've shared some of the graphs from Ben's book, with his permission, of course, Ben, and that's the change in hierarchy structure. Innovation usually comes from some boardroom, etc, around the organization. But when you see the transition, you'll see actually it comes from everywhere. And it's all connected like a network across an organization. But furthermore, I felt that the idea of I, I call it reverse vampires, Ben, except positive vampires. So these people across the organization who will bite the neck of somebody else and change them, <laughs> change their DNA back to the, the cover of Ben's book as a, a strand of DNA change the DNA of those people. And then gradually, the entire organization becomes the same. And I think that's what I got from that part is that when everybody not only is trained, so they feel competent to be able to share the ideas with someone else or share the mindset with someone else. 
but also has a responsibility. That's absolutely core. It's in the job spec, it's measured, it's in their metrics, it's in their performance reviews, absolutely crucial for this to succeed. But furthermore, and this next step was, well, what, what do you do when so many people in organizations like we see have great ideas? Because ideas are not the problem. It's the sharing of the ideas. Like Ben, I often think, you know, you could send your greatest competitor, your strategy, your best ideas, doesn't mean they're going to do anything with them. Oftentimes, they don't even have any type of methodology in order to put these things into into use. So this next part is absolutely crucial to that. And this is the platform that Bayer invested in, and not only invested in financially, but with massive amount of time, massive amount of energy and brought to life across the organization. I saw this as the capillaries across the organization, the veins through which the innovation ran. Over to you, Ben. To put it in the context of the rest of the book, uh, I've mentioned that for the innovating engine to function, you need to create two two spaces uh, which are very important. One is the space where you close the gap between the innovators, the would-be innovators within the firm, and the people who are in contact with the customers. Uh, the, the the salespeople or the people at the branch, the people who are in direct contact with the customer. So this is the first space that you have to make sure you create something to close that gap. The, the other, and we talked a lot about this when we discussed BASF, for instance. The other space that I had mentioned is, is, is the one internally, uh, uh, I mean, externally between your innovators and the customers. But we solve, it is, an example, it's a digital platform. It is an example of how to create this space where you bring the innovators and the people who are close to the customer to bring them together in a digital form. We talked about you know, Gore bringing uh, people into their uh, special uh, research center. We talked about Corsa bringing uh, people together. Fiskars does the same. But this is a very interesting example because it, it is a digital form by which you can bring all the people in the organization to participate into the innovating engine. So we solve is a digital platform uh, where any employee within Bayer uh, can uh, post uh, a problem they're struggling with and invite input ideas or even solutions from anyone else in the company. Um, to give you an idea, they have about 200 challenges posted every year. And anybody from any part of the the company across the globe can propose ideas. Um, um, And they they started uh, this uh, in uh, 2014, the whole initiative. And up to now, they have about 40,000 people, 40,000 people who have participated in, in WeSolve. The other interesting thing is that the, the, the platform is in English and you have about 50,000, they tell me, 50,000 employees who speak English. So that tells you about the level of participation, 40,000 out of 50,000. This is a huge participation. Uh, another interesting uh, statistic that they, they showed me, and, and by the way, these, these are, these are the, the challenges that are posted can be uh, small or big. Uh, uh, could be could be uh, very technical uh, 
challenges that scientists have to answer. It could be help with a, a, a new brand name for a new product in the, in, the, in the Indian market. It could be uh, a new a new algorithm to help uh, uh, farmers in in uh, in Spain. Uh, monitor the, the the level of pesticide they have to put into into their into their farm. Uh, so big or small challenges are posted. And what is interesting is that two third two third of the solutions uh, that are proposed on the platform come from uh, a, a department or, or a functional area that is different from the one where the person who submitted the challenge works. So this is a very good example of how we solves uh, and lists and, and, and leverages the innovating capability of everyone within the organization. So this is, this is again, in, to relate to the conversations we have, this is a formal structure. Again, we're talking about structure. This is, I mean, a, a, an information system, a platform is something very structural, but this is a formal structure that is supporting the creation process, the process by which ideas are generated. Also interesting is that 50% 50, 50 of the ideas usually uh, get solved right away through through the interaction between the in, the would be innovators and the people who who face a problem in the market. Thirty percent find some sort of a, a work work around the the challenge, and then sometimes you have like fantastic ideas that could become a business. And then uh, we might talk about this later. It goes into a special program which is called Catalyst. I absolutely love the final point you made there, Ben, about the ideas coming from a different department. And that's one of the great tragedies I see about the structure being the archaic structure, the one that we showed a few moments ago. But that that has its place, as you say, that's the executing engine that needs the hierarchy, the structure, the top down pyramid shape, but the network shape has a far different effect. And it reminds me of a beautiful quote by the late great Clayton Christensen, he said almost always great new ideas don't emerge from within a single person or function, but at the intersection of functions or people that have never met before. And I thought, well, that's exactly what we solve is and what we solve does. It's bringing people together. It's neurodiversity, you know, the language factor, uh, you know, many of those people who do speak English are not native English. And that in itself brings, as you know, well, a certain neurodiversity, because learning a different language, absolutely changes the brain as well. But that neurodiversity is so valuable. This is this is fundamental. I think that uh, when we talk about uh, or when I talk about the innovating engine, I want to make it clear that this is a very concrete, um, uh, physical, physical um, being in a sense, it, 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 it and in a sense, by when you create this space that I've been talking about, uh, whether it's a digital space like we solve, or you create a, 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 a lab, or you create a garage, or you create sessions or challenges or hackathons, uh, you, you, you are not only creating a space and a time where everybody is invited and giving permission to propose ideas, but you also legitimizing during that time and that space that people are given permission to change their mindset. You switch from 
this execution kind of obsession to actually explore, open your mind, listen to your customers differently. I think people need the reinforcement of a legitimate infrastructure or governance structure or something that gives them permission. Uh, and it's not only words, it's it's actions, it's deeds, it's physical walls. Uh, it's It's silly to say, but people need that reinforcement to feel that it is it is indeed sincere when people tell you we want your ideas so a hackathon in some ways does that i could see that once you've built an innovating engine once you've been this infrastructure and people have learned how to operate into the two mindset and switch from one to the other you may not need the infrastructure anymore the metaphor i use for this is the I had I had three boys, uh, and I'm the one who taught them how to bicycle. And in in the beginning, I wanted to do it by myself, so holding the saddle behind them, running behind them until they they learn how to 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 bicycle. And I realized this was bad for my back, so I I purchased uh, training wheels. And what do training wheels do is that you put them there and basically you, I'm still there holding the saddle to reconfort them, to make them, oh, dad is there helping me, but I'm not doing much in a sense. But, but And then once they become a bit better at finding their equilibrium, I loosen, I loosen the, um, the training wheels. Uh, and then when I feel that they're comfortable with this stage, I loosen a little bit more. And in the end, I take the wheels off. So the same way for people to learn how to switch from uh, execution mindset to innovation mindset, you might need some uh, structural vehicle, uh, some tools, as we may may talk about uh, next week, some uh, processes, some concrete um, uh, agent uh, creation that helps people learn how to, to do this. And one day, they can do it without the tools. So then you can take, take out the tools. They, they don't need a process. They don't need the tools. It's totally embedded in them. But until then, you may need a structure. You may need special roles. You may need uh, you know, metrics, or you may need uh, art, artificial uh, measures to get people to internalize, to internalize the new way of thinking. But once it's become part of them, then you, 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 you can take the wheels off and uh, they, they, can, they, they, can, they can switch even within a conversation, within the time of a, of a meeting. They could be switching between execution and innovation engine in their head, in their mindset, because they, they become so agile at it. Now, I think that many, many years of operating solely in the execution engine uh, makes it difficult for people to learn that. But I think over time, uh, uh, pe- people might, might, might get to that level of agility of switching uh, from one to the other without nobody uh, telling them anything. I'm a metaphor, uh, a lover of metaphors, so I, I love that one. And I was actually feeling a little bit of guilt. My my own experience of my oldest uh, teaching them to cycle the bike started off that way. And then they have these bars now, Ben, so they're like handles. Yeah, I had a handle and and I had just moved into a new home. This is years ago. And there was um they were building a play area for the kids and there was a little ramp and 
I was speaking to a new neighbor I'd never met before while holding the the handle and speaking to this guy this way and my son got impatient and he pushed himself down the ramp <laughs> and he went down on his bike and he nailed it so first time he went off and I was like going I was very lucky that time but it, but the metaphor I you know to build on your metaphor it was like he learned by experience but positively thank god but um, to 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 bring it back to a problem because I want to make sure for those listeners out there who have tried this and failed, because I've seen this many, many times, I've experienced it where there's a call for ideas, and it's a ghost town, nobody, nobody comes forward, or, you know, those type of people who are always up for the challenge, they will come forward the early adopters, the the top of the diffusion of innovation charts, the two and a half percent, the innovators, they'll be always up for a challenge, but that won't change an organizational's mindset. And back to your bike metaphor, one of the things you did was encourage your your sons, the the mental encouragement, but also some type of reward. I'd love you to take this away because this part is crucial. Yes, I think there, there are multiple elements here that, 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 that I can mention about. Um, uh, it, it is true that when you create a platform for people to submit, uh, you know, ideas, uh, it, it goes through a first stage where you get a lot of participation and then suddenly it kind of fades away. But I think there's firstly, the, the, the big distinction they made in WeSolve is that the, 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 the starting platform was about posting challenges, posting problems or opportunities that people from the front line were, were seeing, you know, dealing with their customers. So the platform was driven by, by challenges, not asking people to submit ideas. The, the, I've seen many, many, many companies try to create a platform for people to submit ideas. It doesn't, it, it can work. And actually uh, Bayer had a sub forum within, within We Solved, it's called We Ideate, but this is not a general purpose platform. It is really dedicated to certain areas or certain issues where you would have uh, people who are interested in that looking for ideas. But if you submit a challenge, as you said, you know, quoting uh, Christensen, anybody in the organization uh, is attracted by a challenge, wants to solve a challenge. There's something uh, enticing about helping, helping solve a, a challenge. Uh, uh, people need a sense of a challenge, need autonomy and challenge to motivate them to, to innovate. So I think there was a, a first distinction, I, I would say, that might explain why the platform we solve uh, as a general purpose forum or space for people to engage into innovating uh, was successful. Uh, that doesn't uh, preclude the fact that they had uh, uh, specialized platforms different specialized platform for people to submit ideas. But this is a very limited population, very targeted population. Another thing also which I discovered, um, which Bayer did, but uh, I, I saw it also happen in other companies. For instance, uh, Alliance was a, a good example for that, where they also uh, uh, allowed anybody to submit ideas. And the challenge is that same thing. I remember talking to people in the IT group. They 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 had a spike in 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 people submitting ideas for the first few months, and then it started to really fade fade away. Um, what they discovered is that 
people submit an idea and they don't hear anything. They submit another idea, nothing happens. And after the third one, they say, well, nobody cares really about my ideas. And then people kind of start stopping, stop. So, so what they did in Bayer does the same thing is that once you submit ideas, you, they, they had local coordinators, Allianz had uh, set local coordinators who would monitor that and give people feedback on the ideas within 15 days. So these platforms uh, need, need, need a, a structure behind them to review these ideas, to uh, uh, filter them, to select them. Uh, you can't ask people to submit ideas and for some time so pe pe people really get involved in this and they spend time and they and 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 and, and, and they think through it so if if they don't feel that they are recognized for it that they even acknowledge for it that they get some feedback then they will stop doing it i think this is a very important component and the way that bayer supports that is that the 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 board the board member who 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 was actually the the one who started to be responsible in 2014 for uh, inno innovation or innovating in my language at at Bayer Kamel Malik what he created is that he would he would create a a, a sort of a challenge where the best challenges not the best ideas the best challenges. The people who come up with the best challenges would be invited to uh, spend time, or I think it was uh, dinner, or present in front of uh, the, the, the executive committee. And I think that that, that is that is not only uh, creating a sense of challenge, but uh, uh, recognizing people and people who submit the best challenge, not necessarily the best idea, were being recognized and uh, and acknowledged by the the executive committee. And I think this is something very motivating for people. Uh, submitting the challenge, but also for the the middle managers when they see their people uh, being selected uh, because they submitted a good challenge. So I think uh, yes, it is very difficult to make these uh, platforms work. But I think if you are careful, you can manage to motivate people to continue uh, participating. And and I told you, Bear, there there have forty thousand people who've been on the platform. Going back to your bike analogy, you know, I, I thought about, you know, it's, it's the equivalent to your son doing great on the bike and then turning around and kind of going, look, dad. And then you're like there doing your filing your nails, kind of going, huh? <laughs> like no interest. And, and it's why j just for our audience, so they know we've done lots of shows on the neuroscience of learning, Barbara Oakley, BJ Fogg on habits, Neil Real, Martin Grunberg. We've covered lots of stuff on habits because you're building a habit with this. And one of the keys to building a habit is a reward and the reward needs to be as close as possible to the time that you've have the new habit exhibited. And I wanted to bring it a step further because I'm not going to take my shirt off, but I have the scar tissue here of the of the platform, Ben, where my manager at the time when I was head of innovation asked me to run a hackathon, which was great. I was like, thank God, yes, I have investment, etc. And then showed no interest or didn't even show up at the hackathon, right? And so there was no leadership oversight. And then worse still was there was nobody coming back to the ideas. So I did that. I came back to all the different ideas. And there were some fantastic ideas there. But then even worse, further upstream, nothing was done with the ideas. So I left that organization, but there was a promise of a fund that was available to bring some of those best ideas to life. It never happened. And of course, the whole thing collapsed. 
But Bayer didn't do that. Bayer, as you said, from a board level, there was a reward, which was the board member showing interest and then creating this forum of congratulations and energy, pouring energy into the into the thing. But I love the further investment here by Bayer. And you say here, when one posts on the We Sell forum, fast sessions are then led by iCoaches and other innovating activities surface a really big idea with the potential to generate major benefits for Bayer and its customers. Another innovating system springs to life at this stage. This is Bayer's Catalyst Fund, a corporate entrepreneurship program that shepherds such highly promising ideas through a funding and developmental process. And I've also heard about this, and I want to give a shout out to a regular listener of the show. She was former MD of Bayer Ireland, and regular listener to the show. She's now head of oncology for EMEA for Bayer, Itziar Kanamasis. And she mentioned the importance of this Catalyst Fund and how it brings these ideas to life. You mentioned Catalyst Fund earlier on, but this is absolutely crucial to show recognition, but also to even do things with those ideas. Because we mentioned this before, the ideas is the only the beginning. Absolutely, Aiden. I think that the important thing is uh, to, as I said earlier, for the creation process to motivate people to participate into innovating, give them permission, give them a space where they can actually physically participate like we solve. Something very important um, uh, to keep their motivation and keep them engaged is that they see, first, when you were talking about uh, people getting, um, uh, where do the ideas go? It's important that people get feedback because not all ideas will be will be fantastic. So even if even if an idea is not very good or needs improvement, people want to have feedback. They want to be acknowledged that they submitted the idea. This is good. It's, you remember the Japanese, uh, thank you. Iwashita-san uh, saying thank you. So this is a way to say thank you. So you submit an idea, even if it's on a digital platform, a local coordinator will acknowledge your idea, might say, well, you know, the, the idea is in through the process, but even acknowledging that motivates people. Uh, that's what we call acknowledgement. Uh, not all ideas will, 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 uh, will, will be uh, good ideas. Um, this is where... Uh, uh, as I said, 50% of the ideas that go through WeSolve actually, uh, uh, the, the 50% of the challenges that go through WeSolve get resolved immediately, 30% don't. But out of all these challenges, sometimes some fantastic ideas come out. And it is very important that these ideas get a special treatment, get immediately put into a process, um, some sort of a stage gate process, uh, where in the case of Bayer, they, they, they get submitted either by the, 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 the coordinator, the local coordinator, reviewing all the ideas, or by one of the coaches. We'll talk probably about the coaches as well. They get uh, submitted to this catalyst fund, which is a process by which once an idea is recognized as very promising, it gets dedicated to a special team with a, a lean startup coach, and it's put through a special uh, track to uh, be tested, uh, prototyped, and if it is successful, moved immediately into the execution engine. So I think that the Catalyst Fund, I think, started in 2017. And uh, they had initially, I think, 20, 20 kind of uh, 
you know, substantive ideas that could that were funded, and five of them already uh, by 2020 uh, became new businesses uh, within Bayer. So this is some sort of a uh, the link between the we solve generating lots of ideas. Some some people might argue are improvements. Uh, but you don't know until you implement them. So some of these ideas become improvements to existing processes, products. And out of this, uh, we said uh, 200 challenges, some of them translate into ideas that go into catalyst and become new businesses for the company. Uh, so now who, who is, coming back to the structure, who is taking care of that? So we said, and I said, that uh, for uh, the innovating engine, you needed uh, uh, the three processes, creation, integration, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, reframing. So you can see how WeSolve is helping the front line generate the ideas and this structural new role called the I coordinators or the in innovation coordinators are the ones that are getting the ideas into the process. And the process, the next process is integration. And the integration is really the, the important role for the, uh, for, for the integration process middle managers. And I should tell you, Aidan, that one of the surprises I've had doing this work is uh, the importance of middle managers uh, and, 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 and how much they have been uh, uh, overlooked uh, when we talk about innovation. I realized that innovation would not happen without them. Um, and this is where Bayer did a, a really fantastic thing. Um, they, 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 they created this, this formidable support structure for, for middle managers. Um, you see, what I've, what I've experienced is that when you talk to senior level people, they are totally clear about the necessity, the imperative for innovation. I mean, they're the ones who are thinking about the strategy uh, of the future. They, 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 they're facing this, uh, you know, quickly changing and predictable, uh, highly competitive, highly changing environment. So innovation is, is an imperative for them. We talked about the people that we solve across the board. They have challenges. They can see what the customer's pain points are, what they like, what, are they, what, what they wish for, new opportunities. So for them... They have lots of ideas they would like to submit. And, and so innovation is a no-brainer. The ones who are somewhat shielded from this direct pressure on innovation is the middle managers. Uh, they, and, and by the way, they are the ones who are made responsible for execution. And of course, they need to be trained in innovation. They need, uh, and we talk about the role of the senior leaders, they need to be uh, um, convinced of the importance of innovation, but but they can't take the time and they don't have the training to help their people to innovate. So this is where Bayer, and, and I'm, we're talking about Bayer, but I have the same examples. We talked about perspective at, um, at, at BSF. We talked about the VIP center at... Um, at Samsung, I mean, uh, uh, TPM at Quartzar. I mean, many of the examples featured in the book have the same pattern, which is um, a, a group of, of, of coaches. In the case of Bayer, they trained and certified a thousand coaches who were activated locally 
to support the middle managers because middle managers, they don't have the time, the resources, and even the capability to train their people. But if there's a central resource that can come on, on call to help their team, if somebody has an idea, individual innovator or, or, or a team within their company, within their unit, has an idea they want to work on, and they can call uh, a coach to come and support that, to help them through the whole process until it is, it is submitted into the, the funnel, the stage gate process, then they, 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 they feel motivated to, to, to build this innovating capability. So I think middle managers uh, are, are in, in an interesting way, uh, the, 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 the unsung heroes of, of innovation. And without them, uh, no, nothing would happen. And it is important to create uh, a support structure, which in, in my structural uh, scheme there um, uh, is, is what I refer to as the I-coaches. I think it's such an important point, Ben, for many reasons. Like if you think about the life cycle of, a, of, of an employee, somebody's a killer employee, perhaps a brilliant salesperson, they get, they get promoted to a management position, the Peter principle kicks in where actually they're not very good managers, they, but mainly because they've never been coached on how to manage. So there's no training in, in position for them. So they don't do very well. In time, they become disgruntled, but they stay and they actually create a problem. And that's and then from a leadership or boardroom level, you're looking down kind of going, Oh, our middle managements are, aren't performing, they were a problem in the organization, you're kind of going, well, that's because there's been no investment in them. And one of the things I love about what you've said there, and also the work that we both do, is when you actually educate middle management, and then support them with the structures like we solve and the catalyst fund that Bayer did, you energize them, you give them a new lease of life. And also, most importantly, like you said, you educate them on how you give them the capability on how to actually understand innovation themselves, because most people are fearful of innovation, because the resistance comes from fear. And I think that that's why, you know, I'm so grateful to you for for investing extra time in this series, because the series really brings the concepts to life. And next day, We'll, we'll focus into the concepts when we ch focus on chapter 10. Ben has referred to throughout the show throughout the, the last four shows episodes about the, the tools and the frameworks and that's chapter 10. Now I have to say we'll do our best to bring them to life in the next hour and the next episode. But I do highly re recommend the book because the book has both the, the scar tissue of experience that Ben has had multiple interviews and the tools to bring all these things to life, the structures, etc. One last bit, Ben, I thought we'd focus on and you alluded to it earlier on, which was the board level responsibility. And that's absolutely essential. But more importantly than that, it's the constant spotlight shone on innovation that actually will change the culture. It's just like changing behavior in anything on a child in, in a rehabilitation center, shine the light on the behavior you want, reward it, recognize it, etc. And eventually the changes will come. Perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll say a final word on that. And then I have a final quote that I pulled from the Bayer case that that I'd like to finish on and then hand to you to close today's show. Again, we, we, we coming back to the to, to the to, to the model uh, uh, and the structure. So we talked about the we solve and, and uh, the role of 
innovation coordinators and supporting the the, the, the creation process by the frontline, the middle managers creating the the training, you know, providing uh, the space, whether this is a a digital space or physical space, giving time to people uh, uh, to innovate. And, and, And middle managers, even if they don't know necessarily how to train their people, they have this important central resource uh, which uh, which which is provided by the organization and 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 as I said, many of the of the organizations features in the book have this uh, uh, unit which is hundred uh, percent people are training. These are innovation trainers. So this 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 um, unit uh, once it has trained enough people who are then uh, in the businesses can morph into something else. In some cases, it, it morphs into an internal consulting. It is it is part of HR, where now uh, a, a lot of the um, the tools that we will talk about, a lot of it, the, the 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 frameworks are embedded in in the training um, that any employee gets when they join the company. And then, you, in terms of the structure, now you you don't need the innovation trainers anymore because you have enough coaches. Uh, populating uh, the, the business units. So any 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 manager, and this is what Bayer tried to do, is to make sure to to jumpstart the the, the, the whole engine. Make sure that in any uh, uh, unit there would be at least one coach, so that the the the, the middle manager, whenever they need. Uh, some support. They have actually somebody local who has the qualification, has the certification to be able to help anybody who is interested in innovation. And all this is possible uh, because the board is is on board. <laughs> uh, uh, so just to just to finish, uh, I want to come back to the middle managers. Uh, we might have discussed this before, but there's the whole issue of who gets incentivized. Uh, in this in this in this structure and 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 clearly if you start to put metrics and 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 heavy-handed incentives on the front line uh, uh, we need your ideas did you give me an idea then you will kill innovation you will kill the innovating capability because again uh, uh, ideas is not something that you can observe it's something that people have in their in the head their their behavior in listening to the customer from an innovating point of view is not something you can control so uh, putting heavy-handed kind of uh, incentives on the generators of the ideas is not necessarily a good idea, but putting the, 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 the motivation and even the incentive on the middle managers uh, can work wonders. Uh, I mean, again, they're not the ones who are going to come up with the ideas, but they are the ones who need to create an atmosphere where their team becomes more innovative. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I have a, a different motto for them, uh, which is, you know, give permission to your people to innovate and make other people jealous. And I think this is a good way to motivate middle managers to get uh, uh, attention, to get uh, uh, rewards from senior management because their team is very innovative. Uh, this is a collective uh, innovating capability. Now, the senior, uh, what Bayer did, 
So Kemal Malik was the one who jump-started it in 2014, but they understood that uh, they needed, uh, and they did uh, make the whole board responsible for innovation. And I think this is very important. Uh, the whole board was responsible for innovation. They created a cross-business um, uh, 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 innovation committee. I was talking about the I committee, the innovation committee. They created uh, a cross-business innovation committee of senior executives. And then they selected 80 senior managers across all country groups and, and business functions to serve and to help the board as innovation ambassadors. And these are the ones who then spent a lot of time with the middle managers advocating, explaining, sponsoring, funding uh, uh, the, the middle managers to, um, to, to, to help them uh, create this uh, innovation motivation within, within, within the company. So I think the, we can also come back to the, to the framework, the BTI framework, where you can see that the senior leaders, they are the ones who have to give permission, I mean, ultimately. Um, and, 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 and if they don't give permission, people will not start to innovate. They need to put innovation at the center of corporate strategy. And they need to, we talked about reframing. They need to create the, the, the purpose. The reframing is about purpose. And creating an enlarged purpose as the environment changes, they have to reframe the purpose. So you can see these days, a lot of companies are including, for instance, sustainability in the reframing. Uh, they're including digital transformation in the reframing, diversity. So innovation is, is for the senior leaders is about reframing. I mentioned many times this uh, case of um, Kortsa. Kortsa, which was, um, which is a, a supplier, a commodity, commodity supplier. They were uh, supplying fabric to reinforce tires. And then the reframing process, the CEO reframed the company. Now, the purpose was the reinforcer. So by stating that the company was about the reinforcer, which is about reinforcing solutions in general, they were able to open the box and invite ideas about how can we use reinforcing in construction. So they entered the construction business. They entered uh, electronics business and uh, even aerospace. You can find uh, courts are reinforcing material uh, in the shuttle, for instance, you could find that. Uh, so this is where the senior leaders are really important in terms of uh, creating the purpose and restating, redirecting, reframing the purpose as the environment changes and giving permission to, to people to challenge the, 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 uh, the assumptions, the fundamental assumptions that people had about the business and how it is changing. Of course, frontline people are the ones who are bringing these ideas that challenge the, the senior level people. But the other thing also that senior leaders need to do um, is to create um, the, the the standards and the norms. Uh, so when uh, when now uh, you say sustainability is part of the reframing at Bayer, now or that innovation is important. Now innovation is part of the conversation when people get hired. This is the the the, the it is included in uh, the training that anybody gets when they're recruited. So here I want to make sure that people understand that it is not only about 
making statements and, and, and communication statements about how innovation is important, but it has to translate in the structure. So the senior leaders, the board, are the ones who create the structure, the I committees, the innovation training units, the innovation coaches, the innovation coordinators. These are formal roles with clear tasks and responsibilities. They are the ones who create this parallel structure to the execution engine. But they are also the ones who embed in the new recruiting and training and evaluating process. Innovation is part of it. People join Bayer, they get trained in innovation systematically. Uh, now sustainability is, is, is important. So now any innovation project is uh, assessed in light of this new standard, this new measure, this new criteria, which is sustainability. I think this is, this is how senior managers are, are very critical to, 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 to build and nurture this uh, innovating engine. I think that's why you hear the cliche, it needs to come from the top. That's what that means. This is what it means. The Bayer massive investment training across the, the entire organization. And as you say, a creation of a jealousy for those who succeed and those who are rewarded and recognized is so essential. And one of the joys, you know what this is like, Ben, when you you, it's like, for any of those people out there, who were like this, maybe as children, who were at a level in their class where they probably could have gone up a class and they were bored in the class and they become disgruntled, etc. Or maybe start looking out the window and get in behavioral problems or else in adult life, the same thing happens. You're like, I don't have anything in common with a group of people. I can't speak at the same level as them. As a innovation consultant, when you speak to an organization, and they know what you're talking about, and you it means you can up at a level. So you act, it's a competitive advantage to be able to talk at a higher level where they understand because you don't have to start with the grassroots, etc. Yes, that needs to be done if you don't have it there. But if you've done the work, you're going to be ahead of your competitors. It's a huge advantage. I have a final quote, Ben, I thought I'd finish on uh, and then I'll hand to you to close today's show on Bayer and maybe your final thoughts and maybe a teaser for next week's episode. Very short final quote for me. You said in the book, perhaps the most important takeaway from the Bayer story is the way a giant multinational corporation with a rich history of achievement has been able to generate a new vibrant culture of innovation by building an innovating engine in parallel to its highly efficient execution engine, and then by finding ways to engage the majority of its workforce in keeping both engines humming. I absolutely love that because that is ultimately the goal. Over to you, Ben, to close today's show. And once again, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, th thank you. Uh, actually, there's there's a twist in this, uh, in this um, quote, which um, I, I did not anticipate in the beginning which but, but 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 came out to be very fundamental especially these days which is uh, the, the 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 fact that by creating this innovating space uh, uh, in a form of an engine uh, in form of a structure by legitimizing giving permission to people to innovate you are actually uh, motivating employees, you're making their life 
much much more interesting, much more fun. Um, not only it will allow you to 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 motivate uh, your employees, even when they're functioning in the in the in the execution engine. Um, they will certainly bring lots of uh, uh, nice ideas when they're operating in the innovating engine. And it will also uh, become a reputation. I mean, people will hear about that. People will want to join your company uh, because they realize that, of course, when you join a company, you have some sort of an execution task. But at the same time, you have this other capability you would like to offer, you're motivated to offer. And this, this, this company not only gives you the permission to do that, acknowledges it, and then gives you training. Um, uh, so you, you motivate uh, people to stay in your company, to, to have uh, uh, fun working with you, but also attract some of the, 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 the nice talent that is out there who, who I, we know now, uh, the the new generation uh, they they want uh, to be more involved in 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 shaping the future of 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 their workplace they want to be uh, involved with companies that have a sense of meaning so i think this is this is all adds to 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 attracting the best talent beautiful it's always a pleasure author of built to innovate essential practices to wire innovation into your company's dna ben bensau Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aidan. It was a pleasure. Super, mon ami. And thank you, as always, to our partner, Zai. Zai is a global fintech innovating within its area of expertise, building integrated financial services for digital native and non-native businesses. Check them out at hellozai.com. And I'll see you next week.